We would like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, because our theme this morning is love. The What the world needs more than anything else is love. If people have love for each other, really love each other, there would be no more war, no more crime, no more abuse, no more injustice, no more poverty, no more hunger, no more salvation, uh, starvation, no more homelessness, nor deprivation, or immorality. Love is the greatest quality of human life. Love is the one ingredient that could revolutionize our society. Love is a supreme quality, the most excellent way for a man to live. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter in your New Testament, and I trust that you will turn to that, that passage, the first 13 verses, is divided into four parts, four great points. The first three verses is the great importance of love. The first, the next section there, four through seven, is the great acts of love. We'll go into that in detail. And from 8 to 12 is the great permanency of love. And then the 13th verse is the great supremacy of love. There's just no greater thing than love. Now, I want you to understand that in the Greek world, and you know Greek was the universal language at that time when the New Testament was written, Koine Greek, the common people's language was Alexander the Great had conquered the world and they spoke Greek throughout the world. It was a common language, a koine. They no longer speak that. But that's what the New Testament was written in. Now, I want you to concentrate. I don't have that written out. It would have been a good thing if I had placed it in your hand. But there were four, at least four words in the Greek language that meant love. Now, that's quite different from our language, where we just use one word to mean love in many different ways. The first word that they that I want to mention is eros. Eros was 
This is the physical love between sexes. It was the patriotic love of a person for his nation. It was the ambition of a person who wanted power and wealth or fame, the Eros love. Briefly stated, Eros love is the base love of man that arises from his own inner passion and greed. Sometimes Eros love is focused upon good and sometimes it's otherwise. It's not good. It's focused upon the bad. It should be noted that Eros love is never, ever used in the New Testament. We believe the New Testament is inspired, and God didn't even have his people to even use that word, not one time. Now, there's another word which is about affectionate love. It is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, in the Greek, if we just take the Greek word, uh, letters, storage. This is the kind of love that exists between parents and child and between loyal citizens and trustworthy rulers. Strong love. Storage was a strong love. But it neither was it ever used in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit did not see fit to use that word, not one time. Now, there's two more words that I want to mention, and there is, it, it is the word phileo, phileo. We get our word philosophy from it, philosophy. And this is the enduring love. This is the one that cherishes. This is the love of a husband and a wife of e for each other. This is the love of a brother for uh, another brother and for a friend. And uh, this, it is the love that cherishes. It is the love that holds someone or something dear and near to the heart. It's used in the New Testament many times. And then there is the word agape. You have probably heard that. This is the word that's translated in the 1 Corinthians 13. Only word that's translated love is agape. And it's translated charity. Charity. Which uh, our word charity does not describe the word love at all in its meaning in the original language. This word is a selfless selfless, sacrificial love that Christ had for us. And more than that, it is the love of the mind that really you, you, you communicate to someone with this love. It's the reason of the spirit. That's when you're real and you're telling someone something that's very compassionate. 
It is the love of the will. It is the love that goes far, far farther, further than any of the other words that were used. It is the, it loves a person. This love loves a person even if he does not deserve to be loved. And this is used in the New Testament that way. This word is that it actually loves the person who is, is really utterly unworthy of being loved. Now, I want you to turn over from this passage that you had in First William. We're going to turn back to that. But if you will, please, to the 21st chapter of the book of Gospel according to John. And I want you to see that, that Jesus here uses the word agape. Every time he uses it, he uses the word agape, except last, the last time in this context, he uses phileo. Because Peter, the only word Peter used was phileo. He didn't use agape, not ever. But the word agape was used by Jesus. Now, I want you to look at this uh, in the 15th verse of the 21st chapter. This was after Jesus, 153 uh, fish had been caught. And they'd come in and Jesus had fixed, had prepared breakfast for them. And they didn't know who it was, you know, until they finally saw, and they fished all night and didn't catch anything. Here he, he was, he, he turned around and said, well, put, the, put, put your saying over on the other side than that. And came up with 300, 153 fish. Now, the 14th, verse says this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. Now a lot of people don't believe Jesus came from God and was unseen and was the one who created the world and created everything. But let me tell you that Old and New Testament has that theme all the way through it and all linguists put the books in the Old and the New Testament because the theme demanded it. It has the same silver card stretched through all of those 66 books written by nearly 40 people and or 32 and and really the they were at different places different times and they all had the silver card Jesus Christ is the Son of God now you talk about uh, the miracle uh, the miracle of the Bible being put together and kept together when Satan wants to destroy it is one of the greatest miracles that's ever happened. And this is the third time he appeared to them after he was raised from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? That's agape love. Are you going back to the fish? 
Are you going to do what I told you for three years, that I told you it needed to go out and be fishers of men? He said unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee, and he used phileo, which is, which is a good word, you know. It means endearing love and cherishing love and all that, but it's not that sacrificial love that Jesus had for us when he died for us. He saith unto him, Well, feed my sheep. And he saith to him again the second time, Son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And he says, Agape love, selfless, sacrificial love. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. I cherish you, I love you. You know, I'm going to die for you. That word doesn't mean that. But he saith unto him, Well, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And you know what Jesus did? He used phileo. That's the only time he used it. And he said, Do you just cherish me? Peter was grieved because he saith unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? But the Jesus had used the selfless, sacrificial love that's used in 1 Corinthians 13 every time. He saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Amen. Thou knowest that I love thee. But he still didn't use agape. He still didn't use it. He never used that word. It requires the will, the heart, the mind, the deep-seatedness of man. Jesus said to him, well, feed my sheep. Now, I want you to understand that in this in this uh, great message here that he has. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 13, please. That the greatest thing that's ever happened, as I said, is for us to understand this word. You know? This, this is so important that we understand this. You know, tongues, look at those first three verses. Tongues without love is meaningless. And that's the agape love. Gifts without love are nothing. Look at those three verses. Prophecy is nothing. Understanding all mystery and knowledge are nothing. Say, tell me more about this word. If you have faith and you say that mountain, move, move. That's nothing. Now, if it's nothing, don't you think we ought to understand what this love is? If you were able to say to a mountain, just move. And it just moved. And it'd be nothing compared to having love that he's talking about here. Isn't that wonderful? More than that, if you gave everything you had to feed the poor, 
And you even even gave your body for the pride of just giving and just doing yourself because you, you're doing things. That wouldn't be anything compared to love. Now, it has to be you giving that because of you think that act of doing that there's a certain amount of pride in there. But if you give your body even to be burned, it profits nothing. Now then, the great acts of love, then, we need to understand. We need to understand these great acts of love, just exactly uh, what, they, what they really mean. Look at this first one. Look at that first one down there, uh, beginning with the, the fourth verse. What is given in these four verses is not a long, dry, methodical definition of love. I want you to hear that again. In these four verses, it's not a long, dry, methodical definition of love. On the contrary, the very acts the very acts of love are given and are giving the very behavior of a person. It's the behavior of a person. It's of the mind. It's of the sacrifice. It's of the service. The very way a person is to live among others, among each other, in living and moving among the world and among each other, a person is to act like this. He's to love. And this is what loving others means when you use the agape and what he's using here. Look at the first definition. Love suffers long. Is patient with people. The word always refers to being patient with people, not with circumstances. Now hear that. No matter the evil and the injury done by a person, no matter the neglect or ignoring by a loved one, love still suffers long. Love suffers long, long time without resentment anger, or seeking revenge. Love controls itself in order to win the person and not the help that person or to you to have your own way. But it's to serve and to work. And it's helping the other person to do the same thing that love is doing. Look at the next one. Before we leave that, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. In Galatians 5.22. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and to patience and long-suffering and joyfulness. Colossians 1.11. Preach the word, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and patience. Is Second Timothy, or we can just go on and on talking about how you behave when you have love. 
Look at the next one. Love is kind. Love is kind. Courteous. Good. Cheerful. Useful. Giving. Showing. And showering. Favors. Love does not resent evil. It does not revel in the hurt and the neglect. Love reaches out in kindness and in helpfulness, in giving, in showering favors upon the person who neglects and hurts and hates us or oneself. Now let's look at the passage. Be ye kind, the affection toward one another, one toward another, preferring and honoring one another, Romans 12 and 10. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God for your sake hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32. But look at the third characteristic. Love does not envy, is not jealous, does not have feelings against others because of what they have, such as gifts, positions, friends, recognition, possessions, popularity, abilities. Well, love does not begrudge or attack or downplay the abilities and success of others. That's all included in envy not. Love shares and joys and rejoices in the experience and goods of others. Now, this is just, this is, let us not be desirous of fame glory, the scripture says in Galatians 5, 26. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, uh, Psalms uh, 37 and 1. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways, Proverbs 3 and verse 21. A sound heart is the life of flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones, Proverbs 14 and verse 30. And let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the days of our life. Now, these are just some things. I want you to look at that, that uh, fourth verse. Love does not vaunt itself, is not boastful, does not brag, does not seek recognition, does not honor or applause, or seek applause from others. On the contrary, love seeks to give. Love seeks to honor. Love seeks to applaud, applaud others rather than to seek applaud from them. Look at the verse 5. Love is not puffed up. Pride, arrogant, conceited, does not think nor act as though oneself is better than others. Love is modest and humble and recognizes the honor to others. I could give you a dozen passages of Scripture from other places. Look at verse 6. Love does not behave itself unseemly, unbecomingly, rudely, indecently, unmannerly, disgracefully. Love does nothing to shame oneself, but love is orderly, it is controlled, and it behaves and treats all persons with respect, honoring and respecting who they are. Look at verse 7. Love seeks in her own, uh, seeks not her own. And as you go through many of the characteristics here, these are the great acts of love. 
Love does not provoke. Look at the ninth characteristic. Love does not think evil. And look at number 10. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Or in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Now, there are four great points to this agape love. This selfless agape love. And the very love, let me just make one point in closing, or four points, is that it's the kind of love that Jesus possessed when he died on the cross. He died for those who were lost. And that's the whole human race from Adam down to the end of time. You know the reason he loved them? He created us. He made it possible for us to bring forth after our kind, but he created the first Adam and the first Eve. We belong to him. We're his, and he loved us. He wants us back. The devil got us. Number two, this great agape love is the love that God had for the ungodly. When we were ungodly and we were sinners, Christ died for us. Number three, it is the love for people who are unworthy of being loved. It is the love of God for undeserving enemies. Undeserving enemies. Selfless or godly love is a gift from God. It can be experienced only if a person knows God personally. Agape love has to be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In closing, would you please turn to Romans 5 and 5. 5 and 5. That's the book back from where you were, if you were in that. Begin with the first verse says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord. Now, if you don't have faith, then you don't have this. It's not because God didn't want you to have it. May God help you to have faith. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. When we get in by faith, we get into Christ. He gives us ability that we can stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to, we're going to own a whole universe. I don't know which star you'll be put over. You'll have control. You can go to any one of them you want to because you'll be like God. You'll be released from uh, the limitations that we have in the flesh. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience, experience and experience hope. In this whole dilemma that we have in the flesh here, the only way that you can have deliverance from it is that fifth verse says, And hope maketh not ashamed. When you have the hope, 
that you can live forever and ever in, in Christ, forever and ever and ever, and you'll have a body like he is. John said, we don't know what he'll be like, but we'll be like him when he comes. And he came back and saw old John on the Isle of Patmos, and he fell down as one dead. And he reached the touch, and he said, he just, get up. He said, I'm the one that was dead. I'm alive forever more. And he said, you write this revelation to the seven churches in Asia. And then he gave him an angel, and the angel was a brother. Now, the brother had already been through what we have to go through here. Tried to worship him three times. He said, don't worship me. He said, I'm one of your fellow brothers. He said, worship God. And you know what he did? He was a Christian. Here, here's what happened. Look at the fifth verse. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in the hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he is given unto us. You know, in Acts, the second chapter, he poured his holy, he gave his Holy Spirit to the people who believed and repented and were baptized. It's a, so simple, man just turns up his nose at it. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, go unto every creature on the earth, and you, he that believes that I've been raised from the dead, he said, and raised again, he said, he'll be saved. Why, in the last chapter of M Matthew, he said, well, you will make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. By one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, into Jesus' body. But when we get into that body, we're given the Spirit. And, and I want to tell you, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you don't believe in him, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you have, and you really believe, look what happens in that verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Now, you know what Acts 5.32 says? says he gives his Holy Spirit to all them that are obeying him. When did you obey him? Well, you obey him when you hear about his coming from God and taking on flesh and living in the land and people killing him and then he's raised and then he's the right hand of God and you believe that. And you say, well, I want to be a part of that. He come from heaven. He showed me the dilemma out of this, all the trials and tribulations of life. I want him. Well, how do you get in or Galatians 3, 26 and 27, just as simple. He said, we're all children of God by faith in Christ. He's just as many of us been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Why in Romans 6, it shows it's like a burial. And the old man is crucified, and the body of sin is destroyed, and he gives us of his spirit. Even in chapter 8, he said, his spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're the sons of God. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to have access to the love of God. And you know, selfless or agape love is the greatest thing, is the greatest thing in all of life, according to Jesus Christ. In Mark, the 12th chapter, 29, he said, they said, say, Jesus, which, what's the greatest thing a man can do? What is the greatest commandment? What can you do? He said, well, the first is to love God. All your heart, soul, and mind. That means to think and to will and to recognize he exists. He said the second is like to your relationship with people, and that's what the act, great acts of love is how to be kind, understanding, helpful, and all that. So it's just God acting toward his creation. 
And that's the reason I said, if we can have this working in people, it's the greatest thing to have. Now, the greatest invitation you'll ever be given in your life is an invitation to join and to unite with Christ. He's asking for you to come and for you to be one with him. He loved you. You don't ever have to doubt him. He gave his life for you. Will you come and die with him and, and be raised with him? Will you walk with him? Will you serve him? And you know it's not, it's not, it's not if, but you know someday each one of us that's in this dark room is going to cross the chilly waters of death. It's just when. The psalmist said, The Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Old John said, In him was life, and that life was the light of man. Without him, without anything made that has been made. And he said, He took off any flesh, the 14th verse, and he, we beheld his glory, even the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has been here. He's still here. When you get into him, it's hell-proof. It's devil-proof. It's sadness-proof. No sadness of the devil and the interference can interfere with a person who is in Christ and manifest the love of God. Will you come as we stand together and sing?